big thanks to our title sponsor, Blooming Smiles Pediatric Dentistry. Dr. Arpita Patel has a beautiful, modern, and upscale pediatric dental office in Charlotte, North Carolina. She and her experienced staff treat children of all ages and special needs patients. They create a comfortable, stress-free, and memorable dental experience for both the child and parent, starting with earning your child's trust and always catering to their individual needs. They're proud to offer the Waterlays Plus laser system they call Princess Poppy. It's an alternative method, which means no injections, shots, or drills. They genuinely share kindness, patience, compassion, and fun. Welcome to Who You Calling Crazy. This is a unique mental health podcast. We are erasing the stigma and elevating and normalizing dialogue around mental health. Of course, we'll be sharing practical therapy tips, but most importantly, we'll be diving into the stories and vulnerability of people you know or want to know. I'm your host, Juliette Kuhnley. I'm Bradley Gibson, and I am an actor. Love it. And you've done this for how long? I've been performing um, since I was six years old, professionally since I was 16 years old. So I've been doing this for a minute. Yes. (laughs) So I hear a lot from people who have been doing this their whole lives that sometimes that that line of like performing then like just showing up in the world can sometimes be blurred. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, for sure. I think that I, I definitely know how to how to be on or how to, you know, how to fit myself into the room. Mm. And I've been doing that my whole life. Code switching and, and figuring yes. out your place in the world, not just from being an actor and performer, but also being a, a black man right. um, and being a lot of white spaces and doing a lot of things. You know, being a part of the arts is often a, a very white world. So, yeah, I know how to turn it on. Uh, <laughs> and that's, yeah. just, that's just the reality. You yeah. Know, you know yeah. how to show. I like, I like how you worded that. I know how to kind of show up in spaces. And so, just when I ask you to share about your mental health journey and um, kind of what what that's been like, what comes up for you? I first think about how I um, started therapy about two years ago, and it is one of the best things Mm. I've ever done for myself. And I always tell people, I'm like, get into therapy. Even if you don't think you need it, go to therapy. That's right. Honey, you'll find some things. (laughs) We will help you uncover it. Yeah, yeah, you'll find some stuff there. Um, I think about that because it's been such a beautiful asset to my life. And just, you know, whether it be a therapist, whether it be finding that right voice teacher, finding a a trainer at the gym, like finding people to help you do this and, and make your life happen because our lives are hectic and crazy, no matter what you're doing or where you are in the world, right? And I think I had really, I gotten quite far on my own. But I think to continue on, and I really learned during the pandemic that those old patterns and old ways of survival, like they won't serve me anymore. Mm-hmm. I can't use those anymore because they're, 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 they're killing me. They're exhausting me. I can't grind the gears that hard anymore. I can't suppress that much anymore. I can't do the code switching. I can't be hiding myself. I, I, I'm looking for freedom in my life to do what I want to do, to be who I want to be, and and therapy and getting help with my mental health has been a part of that. And I I plan to be in therapy forever. Yes. <laughs> you're speaking my language. Yeah. But that's the thing I hear that in that the permission you gave yourself to to like if I'm gonna go in these spaces now, I wanna show up as my authentic self. Yeah. 
and yeah. like and and so obviously like you mentioned we have to talk about race and sexuality and how that plays into kind of the permission that society doesn't give you yeah so that's surely a lot of your unpacking and yeah definitely i think a big moment of of like an aha moment i had was working and and being in the workspace being in the theater because you know when you're a part of a, a broadway production or any production you spend so much time in that space giving of yourself all day long, whether it be from the moment you wake up, you're thinking about your voice and your body and what you have to do to get yourself to that place at night. And you're also navigating so many personalities that are making it all happen. It's such a big, you know, it's such a big group effort to make this show happen every night for these thousand people, however big the house is. But I learned that, you know, it takes a lot away from me to do it every day. And I can't do it if I'm also like not being myself, how am I going to do that and feel good? Like I spent a lot of time, you know, even in, in, in situations and jobs that I love the people and I love the character and the show where I still have moments of exhaustion because I was putting something else on. I was playing another part because I felt that's who I had to be mm. to be in the space, right? To be a person of color and, and have the opportunity to show how grateful I am for the opportunity to have it continue on, blah, 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 blah. You know, I just learned that I have to, I have to be free and I have to be me because if I'm not me, then I'm not, I'm not going to be doing a good service to myself. I'm also not going to be doing my best work. Right. Right. I'm going to be the caliber of work that it could be. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, because there's just so much about listening to yourself and kind of trusting that inner wisdom too. And then deciding that there are places and people like, do you feel like you can be intentional about deciding who you're around and who you, how you show up then? Yeah. I'm getting better at that. I think that, I think maybe it's just a a factor of being young and in your twenties, you kind of feel like you have to go everywhere, say yes to everything at all times. And a lot of that, I think there are parts of that I think are true, but I think now I, I realize that, I don't have to go everywhere. I don't have to say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't serve me and my life and how I feel inside, then maybe I shouldn't be there. Maybe I shouldn't be around these people. And, and you know, the older you become and, you know, the, the bigger your life gets with obligations, you kind of have a smaller community. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, and it's beautiful. It's amazing. I'm so yeah. thankful for it. I'm... I think that also has been a saving grace. Yeah. I think that wisdom does come with age. Like the the depth is what we're after as we get older and not just the breadth. When you're young, you want to collect all these people and accolades and, you know, things to check off. And then you realize like, no, I actually really just want the depth with my people. <laughs> yeah. And that's something I discovered even more in the pandemic too, right? The world yeah. stops. You can't leave your home and you have to make the best of this awful situation right like i'm spending all this time with my husband right like how are we going to really 
tap in and learn how to love each other and accept each other from every single possible place, right? From the worst to the best, because you're really not supposed to be around your partner every single day, 24 hours a day. No, and y'all got married in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, making sure that that space that you hold with them, the people that share space with you are people that you want to be around, communities that you do support, that do support you, that allow that allows me and allows you to feel as um as free and as authentic as possible. So, and are yeah. you and Adam pretty aligned in your kind of like values and how you talk about this stuff to nurture the relationship? I mean it yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. I think that we I've learned a lot from him. I think he's learned a lot from me too. <laughs> I think that we were really good about um, being on the same place and knowing that mental health is a priority and knowing too that, that that we're shifting and we're changing and that we're evolving and learning more about each other and, and really learning how to accept each other um, and what what we need, right? What we need to, to really get through our days no matter, you know, it might change depending on the job or the yep. week or whatever, but knowing that like, oh, my husband needs yep. this to do this. Yeah. So what do we need for our individual selves and then for each other? Yep. That's yep. a couple. So is there, you know, you, you, you now live in New York, so it's like fast paced, like you said, and the industry that you're in is big and you're from a little quiet, sleepy, small town. So what, just talk to me about that journey as far as in the context of mental health um, mm -hmm. and culture mm -hmm. shock. And I don't know, like what? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Let's yeah. Go there. Let's go there. Yeah. You know, growing up in our hometown was, it was beautiful, right? There are moments about it that I, I think back on often where I'm like, man, that was really like ideal. Considering my my childhood and my family dynamic and my upbringing were not ideal, I was raised by my great grandmother. My um, father wasn't in the picture. My mom was in the picture, but she was very young when she had me, so she was growing up essentially yep. as I was growing up. And and seeing my grandmother work so hard and be the matriarch of our family and support so many people emotionally, financially, you know, she, her mother was alive when I was very young and she was helping her ill mother and shuffling her back between her other siblings. And I have an uncle who's mentally handicapped and has been for his entire life. She raised him the first 45 years of his life by herself, essentially, wow. as a widow. Um, I saw that. I saw her dealing with those things, taking care of me always being the shoulder for someone. So I often felt um, like I never wanted to be a burden as a kid, mm. right? Because she, not only did she raise me, but she raised me with such love and such, she's such an open, wise woman. And, but also she was really honest, mm -hmm. right? She never really, she didn't really hide the struggles because she hid it from the world like she's a very southern lady right so she gives you the class and the elegance and the the i would say christian but the mormonism facade she's good at that but when the door closes at home she was really honest and raw about who she was with me and i could see a lot of it and i just knew and i could feel how tired she always was uh. and how 
how she never could say no and how I was always determined to not be a burden to her. I was going to always help her. I was going to always do the right thing. I was going to always go on the right path. And, you know, we have a saying in my house, you know, she always supported me being a performer, but it was just work as hard as you can, right? Like do as much as you can do as go as hard as you can because you love it. And I'll support you, right? So I was going to be amazing at what I chose to do. Um, but I always felt like, I always felt like I was an other too in the world because I was pretty much the only queer person in my family. Mm-hmm. And I, like I said earlier, I was often in white spaces as far as theater goes. I also um, rode horses for a long time as a kid too. And that's also... A very much so a white space too and dance and all of that yeah. right in our town um so i felt like i had to show up as the best show up as you know not a problem as articulate i had to also hide my authenticity as far as my queerness goes because we were we were in church every sunday i was raised mormon right across the street from the high school you know the spot um i was there multiple times a week every sunday i was also uh, uh, one of few men in my family. So there are certain levels of, of the faith that you hold as you become older, especially as a male. And very few men in my family have had the opportunity because my family converted to the religion. And also because often as, as people do, young people do in, in religions, they get older and they kind of go away from it. They don't want to, they don't choose that for themselves, right? Sure. But I was in that church and I, I loved the community of it and I loved the the feeling of faith. Faith is important to me and a connection to a higher power and to God is important to me. And I could feel that as a, as a young person, mm-hmm. right? Like I remember going through the lessons with the missionaries and reading the scriptures and praying and asking for, you know, faith in this and if it's true when, if living this type of life and by these principles, if it's the right thing. I remember that feeling in my heart of feeling like that's right and feeling the connection to, you know, what church essentially is supposed to be is helping you be a better person, right? Just to be good. And I could feel that and it tapped into everything I was being taught at home, right? And everything I was putting into what I wanted to do, the hard work, the dedication, the faith, everything lined up. But I definitely always felt like an outsider and, and other in my family, in my community, in, in church, that community. So I kind of, when I talk now about this, I think about how whether or not I knew this at the time, I always saw performing and theater and acting as like my way out. Mm. And I almost say that with with sadness because I, I love my family so much and I love these memories as of my childhood and with my grandmother and my mom and mm-hmm. all, all my family and friends and even church family, right? I, I hold those things close to my heart. Um, but I definitely saw performing as a way out. And I also saw the more that I worked at it, the more um, approval I got from people around me, yeah. right? And also I, the, the, the opportunities that came from it. Mm-hmm. It was a big eye opener as a 16 year old to get this chance to work professionally 
that came out of nowhere. And that is just a product of like, you know, luck, preparation, opportunity. It just happened to work out that way. I so happened to have teachers that were had faith in my skills and helped me get the opportunity. But once I got there and I was the youngest person with these adults who were working actors in New York City or they were students in one of these schools in the country for musical theater, it changed my life. Mm. I didn't even know that that was an option. You know, I did dance. I did theater. I rode some horses. I liked that feeling of being choir, but I never knew that it was called musical theater you could go to school for that or you could move somewhere and like there was a, a, a an equation to do it right there was a, a guide a path yeah. so when i got there and got that opportunity it changed my life and that led me to going to boston for college and that was culture shock <laughs> i actually was um i auditioned for quite a few schools and i got into a few of them in different places and the country Mm -hmm. and a few of them were in New York and I remember coming to New York for like the second time to visit the schools and tour them and stuff and I knew from the second I got there I said I can't go to school here because I want to be here so bad I'm the kid that watched Annie on repeat not because of Annie but because the 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 New York City of it all Right. right that like fantastical world it created with those sets or anytime you see the skyline in a sitcom like I want it to be there so if I'm going to school in the place that I've always dreamed of I'm not gonna do this right yeah I didn't really love being a student at all period right like I wanted to get good grades so I could get to the next level or I wanted to take the advanced class because I felt that that was pushing me to like really have to work hard right um but I didn't love being a student so I knew that if I went to school in the city in New York City I wouldn't I wouldn't focus so I chose Boston and that was still a culture shock yeah it's a huge city compared to ours and going to school um at a conservatory with such a small um group of peers with you like who who lived lives and knew things that I had never ever thought about right I dream of Hollywood and LA. You live there. Wow. Your next door neighbor is Britney Spears. Right. You you know every single musical that's ever been created and you have all the cast recordings and you're you're schooling me every second on it. I don't know anything but the shows that I did at my high school or in community theater. So did you feel like you belonged? Um in some ways no. A lot of ways, yes, because it was the first time I'd ever been mm-hmm. around people who were obsessed and loved doing what I love to do. And also, so many of them were queer. Mm-hmm. They were different. We were all the the weirdos in our communities. We were all the others. Mm-hmm. And we all were together. And we all were like on the on the search and on the journey of getting the same goal, right? right. We right. wanted to be on Broadway or on a stage or on a movie set or something. We were all on that same journey. Yeah. Yeah. Were you out in high school publicly? Um, I, I would say now looking back on it, I'm like, how was I not out? Like, (laughs) you know, I feel like how was I not out? Like everything I was doing was pointing to that being the case, but I never, (laughs) I only said that, 
to certain people, only certain people in my life knew. But I was making like choices that was like, honey, people know, <laughs> or like you're telling everyone, or you don't have to say anything, or yeah. So Part I of would the journey. Say, yeah, I would say it depends on who you, who you were around or who I was around sure. to know. Um, but for certain areas, and you know, I think about the the theater building at the school. That was safety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I never even ate lunch after freshman year in the cafeteria. I only ate it in that building to be with the band geeks and the choir geeks and the theater kids. Like we would all come there, and even there, we were all so different, but we felt so connected, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say I was sort of out. Yeah. What I love though is like you acknowledging that multiple things can be true. I really love and have gratitude and pride for my family and certain memories and all those things. And I needed more. I needed to feel like I was enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just and, need more. Yeah. And that feels incongruent, but yet like psychologically, it makes so much sense. Especially if your narrative as a kid, your core belief is don't be a burden. I'm a burden. Like, don't be a burden. Just kind of like we kind of started this conversation. Don't take up space. Or if you're in that space, blend in, be helpful, be people pleaser, all of those things. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you wanted more and to, to kind of launch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> makes, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I really want it to launch. I really want it to, I want it to feel, I remember. <laughs> I remember towards the end of high school, we went to a Jason Mraz concert. Uh-huh. I've told my husband this so many times. <laughs> I remember it was my first like big concert. It was like a, you know, a star was playing. It was outside and like the weather was perfect. And I remember he sang his song, um, Beautiful Mess. Uh-huh. So beautiful. I love that album. That album played in my car all the time. Uh-huh. And I saw all my friends around me who like had their boyfriends and their girlfriends and they were like holding hands and connecting and like the whole night they had been so free together and in themselves and I had never had that. And I remember thinking in that moment, like how can I like find that for myself? Where can I go Mm. that I don't have to blend in or hide to to feel that I'm enough? Where can I go that I can just be full Mm-hmm. Will I ever have that? And having a sad moment then of being like, probably it's never going to happen for me. Right. But it has. So. I think it's it's powerful to hear that, you know, as for those of us that are white, hetero, cis, you know, where things, it's just easier. And everything is kind of laid out for us in a different way, you know. So not only do marginalized populations have the same mental health struggles that all of us do and all of these other layers that I just think are so important to talk about Yeah, for, uh, for people to understand that. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. What would you tell that little guy? What would you tell that younger self? Hmm. Yeah. I've been asked that a lot. (laughs) Say the same thing, but I kind of feel something different now. I kind of feel like I would tell him to, to hold on. Right. Because I think that making the choice to say, you know, just be you and live authentically, like that's easier said than done. Yeah. 
And I think there were many spaces that I was in every single day where I couldn't, I couldn't do that. That wasn't possible. No one within that space knew how to, to see me in that way or to be open enough to accept me or yeah, it wasn't possible. So I would tell that young Bradley to just hold on. And if you keep going in this direction and living this way, you're going to really end up in a beautiful place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that those feelings, you're going to have some other burdens and things keep happening, but what you're feeling right now, that's going to go away. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that, like kind of inner child, younger self thing a lot. And if he could like see you now kind of thing where it's just like, dang, you know, yeah, this beautiful life. And of course, right. Struggles and all of the things, but just, yeah, you found a person, like your person. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. uh, 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 Okay. So on stage acting, TV acting, singing, um, you know, I think all of these probably bring a different sort of energy and, and, thing, but is there a role that comes to mind in particular that was more emotional or mentally draining or something than others? You know, when I think about the word draining, I think about the Lion King immediately because it was draining. It was emotionally draining. It was physically draining. It took a lot out of me every day and not necessarily because of the the show, because of the personalities I had to navigate with behind the scenes, the, the, the weight of the show was on my shoulders, which I never felt before. Ooh. And that's a hard moment, too, because that's what I had been hunting. That's what I had been wanting. That yeah. is what I want. And you get exactly that. And no one is there to hold your hand through it. Oh, that gives me like chills. Especially whenever you're replacing in a long-running show. It's not original. Um, Everyone's been there for so long. You coming in is just another day of the week, right? We're not stopping this train for you. You just got to hop on and find your spot. And it better work with what's going on already. Because you're going to mess up. But then we're going to hate you. Or then we're going to kick you out of here. Or, yeah. So that was was definitely the hardest. but I think about, you know, personally, like roles that have touched my heart or I feel really tapped into and it's hard to play them or, or it's beautiful to play them. There are a few. I think about on stage um, doing a Bronx tale, playing the role of Tyrone, playing this teenage black boy in the Bronx in the 60s. You know, he's really not doing the right thing. He's telling his sister, demanding that his sister not date this white Italian guy. He's willing to fight for it. He's, he's so, he's so committed to this. Like you can't be with him. This is not right. Not because of just, he has racist tendencies, but also look at how he has been treated. Look how he sees his people, his family, his community treated every single day. He doesn't want his sister to be with this guy, because she's also seen him do some of it. You can't be with him. Um, and it, it happened for me when I got the, the opportunity to play him um, when Black Lives Matter was, was first 
a hot word, mm-hmm. a hot phrase. Mm-hmm. You know, that summer I was also fueled with Ooh. anger and sadness and not understanding why everyone was so surprised by it, why people were also so silent by it. And I got this audition and it wasn't that hefty, but the second I read it, I was like, Ooh. I know what to do. So it ended up being cathartic in that way. Interesting, yeah. And also a beautiful moment because I got to meet great people and be a part of a cool show. Um, and I think the role I play now on um, A Power Book Two Ghost, uh, Everett is a closeted <laughs> college basketball player. And he's just a mess. He's so determined to be perfect and get great grades and impress his family. His family wanted him to go to the school so bad because, you know, they have high expectations and he wants to go to the NBA and he can't be gay. And he's always trying to adjust himself and code switch with the team and how he is with his boyfriend. And I'm like, I said the other day on set, I was like, when is Everett going to grow up? <laughs> get it together, man. <laughs> Tell Everett to hold on. Okay? I know. Everett, hold on. <laughs> hold on. But that's the thing that, you know, we outsiders that aren't actors too, like I know it's got to be draining because you, when you're good at it, like you are, you put yourself into it and you find yeah. how it taps into something that resonates with you. And so you put it all out there. I yeah. Mean, just, whew, I mean, that makes me just want to go take a nap. Yeah. And I think... I thought when I first started doing on camera work that it wouldn't feel as um, taxing as stage work. Right? You're not as, you're not projecting your voice. I'm not singing. I'm not dancing. I don't have the same kind of like nerves and adrenaline that you have in your front of tons of people. But it's just as draining because it's so human and it's so grounded and it's so real as if you know the same as if you and I were talking right now. Um, so it's it's just as hard and i'll get some material where i'll say you know we're just filming this one scene today it's going to be nothing and you get there and you do it for four hours non-stop and you're like wow i'm exhausted <laughs> or the things you do with on the show the show is you know a crime show so we're always dealing with people getting shot and like all the things murders and oh. this and court cases and you're on the stand or someone's grilling you and even that pressure of like being your your character supposed to lie and not tell the truth and someone you know law officials teachers are, are grilling you in your face and asking you what happened and the camera's close and you're like it feels so real do it. I, didn't I, do it. I didn't do it i didn't do it <laughs> yeah it's exhausting but it's great yeah and I mean, and that's a really cool point about the Simba thing, you know, that it's like the moment you've been chasing and then the weight that it carries though, like, holy shit, now here it is. And so I think that's just another good lesson about how we just can't really get attached to anything. No. Anything. You have to just kind of hold things more loosely mm-hmm. or you'll drown. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And And hopefully you're at a place in your life where you can realize that okay this thing is happening but my life is still happening so what do i need to do to carry this and still be okay and it might look different than that last job right it might be a little different i might have to change my day i might have to go to therapy uh, one extra time you know add another session to the week or or whatnot i think it just you have to be willing to to 
to change. To stay fluid. Yeah. Yeah. Be very flexible. Yeah. I have moments with people where Mm -hmm. I don't think they even realized how much that moment meant to me. Um, I think about last year, before COVID, life before COVID, Mm. (laughs) top of 2020, I did a reading of uh, a new show that was not only great, but I got to work with an actor named Norm Lewis, who is a phenomenal Broadway actor and singer and television actor. And he was one of few black men that were, you know, Broadway stars when I was growing up. He was a leading man. He was handsome and muscly and he had a beautiful voice and he was on the posters and things like that. And I've always looked up to him and I always look forward to the day that I could be in the same room with him and work with him and vibe with him. And we just spent two weeks sitting next to each other, cutting up and acting up and giving me great advice and taking the train home with me. And I said to him on the last day, I was like, Norm, thank you so much. I don't know if you understand or maybe or, or people tell you this all the time. I was like, but it's been such a life changing moment to be around you mm-hmm. every day. He was like, oh, of course. He's like, and now whenever I see you, I want to, we're going to get together. We're going to text, we're going to talk. And and I'll see him on the train or we'll text. And I'm like, hey, no, I'm like, who is, what right? is, what is my life? Yeah. Uh, cool. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So any advice, like professional advice that you've cherished in particular? Or just kind of go-to quotes or other wisdom that you turn to? You know, a quote I always live by, and I definitely live by it during The Lion King, was I come as one, but I stand as 10,000. That means a lot to me because I think my ideas around what I do and how I work and what I work for and how I show up is a little different because I realize that it's it's so much bigger than me, right? It's about who came before me to get me to this point, whether it be my family or people that, you know, are, are historic in our business and icons or or who's going to come after me, whether it be a freaking movie star, whether it be the next guy that's going to play Simba, right? Like it's more than me. And it's also more than how I feel. I think it started to feel kind of icky as I got older in my late twenties performing because it's such a selfish Mm. industry, such a selfish job. It's very, you know, self-involved always, you know, photos of me, (laughs) take a video of me, come see me in a show, buy my song, look at me. And and after a while, I was like, I'm so sick of me. (laughs) But a great actress I worked with, I remember her saying, I did this play off Broadway many years ago, and I hated it. It was the worst, but you take a job for a job. And I like rolled my eyes through it, but I was around phenomenal, classical, iconic New York stage actors. Mm-hmm. Um, Dana Ivey was in the show with me, who I love. And she said this to me. She said, darling, it's not about how it made you feel. It's about how it made the audience feel. And she would say that all the time to, to me and to other people in the cast, because we were all kind of pissed off to be doing it. Yeah. Ooh, I like that, though. Oh, oh yeah, you're yes. right. Yes. It's not about me at all. Right. right. So staying humble. I mean, that's part of it. But I also think there's this balance of like, you can like being proud and claiming that 
Mm-hmm. In the context mm-hmm. of this whole life story that we've talked about and staying humble and realizing, yeah, it's all, all of it is all so much bigger than us. And I think there's actually freedom in that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That probably helped with nerves too, I would imagine. It helps with nerves. It helps with me like not thinking that I have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Cause that's something I battle with all the time. I, that's my current 30 year old Bradley's everyday battle is like fighting that need to be perfect. Um, and, and that perfection is mm. never really met, right? Nope, not a thing. Especially when you're your, we're, we're our own worst critics. That's it. How are you gonna get to a place where you're like, that's perfect, no, that's not gonna happen. Um, it help with that too. Yes, yeah, perfectionism is so much about that inner critic. And how can we meet that with self-compassion instead? Mm-hmm. What about the songwriting for you? Is that cathartic? Is that therapeutic? Oh, wow. The songwriting and the whole part of my life that is dedicated to creating music and creating my own art was a huge, like, it it was as if someone took a hammer and, like, crashed the glass open because it gave me a freedom that I've never felt before. And that jumping off of the ledge of just doing it, right? I have been writing for a long time. I wrote poetry in middle school. And even, you know, as a younger kid, I was writing things mm-hmm. here and having ideas. I've always been very, very creative. Um, and writing poetry or songs kind of ended up being my way of journaling yes. as a kid. I wasn't actively journaling every day, but I would jot down ideas, whether it be a song or a poem. And it wasn't until I was in my 20s in New York that I really started taking it seriously because of my friends around me kind of saying, that's kind of catchy. Like, I like that. That's cool. You sound great. You should really pursue this. And little by little, I would write a song with a co-writer. I would um, look into friends suggestions for producers and connecting with them and trying some different people out and really getting it done. It is so freeing Hmm. because I just get to say what I want to say. And when I allowed myself to also have no apologies Hmm. or filters around that, right? Hmm. Because I still am dealing with my own (laughs) filters that lie within, right? I'm still at the core, the little black Mormon boy from (laughs) North Carolina. Um, And I'm dealing with the perfectionism too. So I'm like, and saying, what do you want to say? What do you feel? What did you experience? How vulnerable is that? Yeah. If this song is about a past relationship that whether it be, you know, something that broke your heart or a really sexual moment or whatever it might be, go for it. You're 30 years old. What you got to say? <laughs> you can do it. You have you permission. Yeah. Ooh, but that's so vulnerable. Oh my God. It's so vulnerable. It's so scary because you're releasing it to the world Ooh. and, and not just, you know, I don't wake up and say, this is going to come out on Friday and I'm Beyonce. So the world's going to stop. No, but it's available to anyone in the world, which means that yeah. classmates are seeing it. My mom is seeing it. My grandma is watching it. Yes. And it's mine. I can't hide behind a character. I'm not being an interpreter, right? In that moment, I'm not doing someone else's 
work, saying someone else's words, wearing someone else's costumes, they're all my choices. Mm. And it's the best. Ooh, there's a lot of trust in that. Yeah, yeah. You are letting yourself be seen and known. <laughs> yeah. That's the ultimate, man. I mean, that's just, that's it. Yeah, and I think the, there's a big freeing aspect of it because of, I don't really often get that chance, right? I'm, I am an interpreter. That is my job. I am on a TV show playing a character written by someone else, being filmed by someone else, being edited by someone else. I'm on stage in a show playing a part that was written by someone else, you know, on and on and on. It's not, a lot of the choices aren't mine. Yep. Everything about that whole process is mine. Yep. It's suffering. But do you think systemically things are going to change in cross Broadway? Like as far as representation? Uh, I think representation on the stage, in front of the camera, I think that will get better and it has gotten better, right? From previous years and decades. But I think to see real change happen in the industry um, that is Broadway has to start at the top. Who is running this game? Yes. Who has say in this? Does yes. anyone at that table in that room That's how it always look works. like me? And if not, I'm not going to see some big changes. It's not you getting interns. It's not you hiring someone to to be the do the racial bias training in that department. No. And then patting yourself on the back and telling exactly. everyone you did it. Exactly. Who are the gatekeepers? Mm -hmm. Can we get them to listen? Can we get them to open up the floor to other people who are minorities? Mm -hmm. So I, I have I have a new sense of faith in the possibility of change because we've also been talking about this privately in our community for years and years and years. Right? Sure. Anytime you're with your friends or backstage, you're talking about something that's not going right within your industry or at work. But I have a newfound faith in it. Okay. Because I think that what's different now is that people have learned during the pandemic that we have a lot of power in our social media and in our mouths and and now we are not tolerating being being nice anymore making you feel comfortable anymore so you have actors performers and people who are in the industry who are ready to call it out and scream and we also are living in, in a society that is down to cancel you like that right so everyone also has a new heightened awareness around it so i do have faith, I have faith. yeah yeah that's cool Okay, so just last crazy question time. What's your ideal date? My ideal date would be <laughs> going uh, to dinner somewhere not too far away from home, <laughs> <laughs> which annoys my husband so much. I would because if it's a date night, I like I want to probably uh -huh. be me and not go to bed too late because I'm a grandpa. So I want to be near in our neighborhood. I want it to be something that probably is familiar because I don't like trying new things. Okay. <laughs> right? so we're uncovering things left and right. We're uncovering things. <laughs> <laughs> um, favorite appetizer? Oh, I love french fries. Okay. I love french fries. Shoestring or like 
I like waffle. But I think a waffle, something about a waffle fry just feels, it feels like home. Yeah. It feels, it feels right. Okay. Um, no, I honestly had this question on here, but then you mentioned that you listen to Jason Mraz in the car, but I had, so favorite band or musician, like when you're in the car and you just can like belt when you're driving and like. I feel like if I'm yeah? going to go out and feel, it's going to be Adele. Yes, it is. Right? Because I'm in the car by myself and I can, I can let it rip. Yes. And all the emotions and Adele is nothing but emotions, right? Mm, <laughs> yes. So it's going to be that. Okay, and then last one. So any person dead or alive that you could um, eat French fries with and listen to Adele with, who would it be? I want to talk to Michelle Obama. And Yes. Yes. Or, or, or actually Oprah. Oh. They're both alive. We love, and we love that they're here. We need them. We love and we need them. And we would love yeah. to have waffle fries with them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and the, the point is, is that like so many things since the pandemic we're talking about differently and mental health is one of those things. Yeah. And that's the idea is like, let's just get up in there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, destigmatize totally. and all that. Thank so, you for asking me. And I think it's so important after the pandemic, especially for us to realize that we can't do anything if we're not, if, if, if you're not good. Right. Right. It's okay to not yeah. be okay. Yeah. Get someone to walk through it with you. Yes. Let's talk about code switching since that came up a couple times in our conversation. Code switching is a tool to help someone blend into different social or professional situations, particularly where you are a minority. Okay, so that's more of like the technical definition. But truly, it is a self-censorship and survival technique that people of color have been using forever to fit with the norms of society that have been dictated by white experience. And so it can be used consciously or often people even, you know, may not even realize that they're doing it. It is so demoralizing, mentally exhausting, and can have true impact on someone's well-being because it's someone having to hide or adjust parts of who they are. The onus should not be on people of color to develop strategies to adjust to issues that are rooted in racism and biases. So those of us in the majority have to continue to check our biases and practice anti-racism and inclusion in a non-performative way so that people can just authentically show up as they are. And hopefully conversations like this can help tilt the scale toward that change. Thanks for listening. So who you calling crazy? I think you mean human. We are removing the stigma, y'all. Say it loud and proud. Yep, I go to therapy. Again, huge thank you to our sponsor, Blooming Smiles Pediatric Dentistry. Just check out the Google reviews for Dr. Arpita Patel to see how great she is with kids. They truly offer a holistic approach to ensure for every patient the well-being of mind, body, and spirit.